Welcome back to the podcast on Binding the Bible. This is episode 175. You will recognize them by their fruits. And on the podcast this week, we are going to look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, where Jesus is speaking about false prophets who come to us in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And then he exhorts us to identify these people by their fruits. And I think this is a timely passage to look at. I do not think I could count the number of scandals that have appeared online and in the news in recent months and in recent years, even as they relate to supposedly uh, trusted Christian leaders within churches or within specific organizations. And I don't intend to take my time on the podcast this time to go through the incredibly long and ever increasingly long list of those people. But I do think what Jesus says here is important for us as we identify leaders and obviously as we attempt to apply the Sermon on the Mount to our own lives as well. So for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we would seek to follow the kinds of people who most represent him as he actually is. And while we are all flawed and while leaders do not claim to be Jesus, there are some characteristics we can look for in our leaders which would make following them worth our time. So that's all we have for an introduction. Let's get into the passage and then into the episode. Before we begin this week's episode, allow me just to read Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, as I said in the introduction, Jesus is here quite specifically calling out leaders. And what I find really intriguing about the Sermon on the Mount is all the way back in chapter 5, after Jesus has, had given the Beatitudes and after he spoke about the disciples being salt and light in the world, and after he expressed the fact that while this may seem shockingly new, this teaching of his. There is nothing new under the sun. In fact, the Old Testament in its entirety was getting after the same thing. And so Jesus talks about, you know, nothing, everything that the law and the prophets spoke about is what he's actually offering here. He's not doing anything new. And then he makes this bold statement. And he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so in Jesus's mind, he has spoken frequently about the Pharisees in the Sermon on the Mount. He speaks about hypocrites in prayer and in fasting. 
and then praying who want to gain attention from those on the outside. They want the people who are watching them to think of them as highly spiritual. And so when Jesus exhorts us for a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, he's not actually saying, hey, the scribes and Pharisees are in public praying. You should do that, but do it better. You know, or the Pharisees give money and they make sure everybody knows about it. So you should blow your horn a little bit louder when you give to the poor because you, you want to exceed what the Pharisees are doing. No, in Jesus's teaching, the exceeding means something that is deeper, that it's richer, it's more real, not less real. In fact, so much of what Jesus has to criticize the Pharisees for is this external manifestation of righteousness that lacks an internal reality. In fact, if you fast forward, and and I won't get into it all here, but if you fast forward in the Gospel of Matthew to chapter 23 in particular, which several scholars suggest is is kind of an intentional bookend for Matthew in his Gospel, it sort of paints the reverse side of several of the Beatitudes that Jesus gives to his disciples and to the citizens of his kingdom. But chapter 23 is a section filled with woes. And it's a section filled with woes directed to the scribes and the Pharisees, who in some of Jesus's metaphors are like whitewashed tombs. They appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness or or rottenness. And he speaks about them as if they are tombs within is dead or or the the inside of the bowl is dirty but you clean the outside and you think everything now is going to be good and Jesus says no first clean the inside of the dish and then the outside will also be clean and we we know this i mean that this is very very common throughout the entire sermon on the mount Jesus is speaking about the righteousness of the heart and how if we open ourselves up to his cleansing work at that level, the external things will begin to take care of themselves. But how tempting is it to polish the outside and forget that the inside is what really matters? And so I would suggest in our day and age, in our culture, in our time, these words are very, very timely. Because in our culture, it's really, really easy to see the big influencers, um, the social media movers and shakers, the whatever type of genre, whatever category interests you, there are going to be the big players out there who have the 500,000, 1 million, 5 million followers, and whatever they say is just what everybody believes, right? But what's super lacking in those contexts is that you don't actually know those people at all. You don't know what their family life is like. You don't know how that person speaks to his wife or how that woman treats her husband or her kids. You don't have any idea what type of relationships they hold in social settings. You don't know how they treat their their coworkers or their employees or or their employers if they're just, you know, someone on the side who's has a passion for what they do. 
And so when Jesus cautions us here, of course, we're not talking about social media in general or politicians in general or so-and-so in general. We're speaking about those in the kingdom. And what Jesus says is beware of false prophets. So here are people, the prophets, this is not too hard to wrap your mind around, but the prophets were those who spoke on God's behalf to the people. They were there to relay the things that God said and to hold people accountable for what the law was actually um, getting them to do. And as Jesus has done and will continue to do throughout his entire ministry is expose the fact that while the Pharisees very comfortably put themselves in places of authority and feel that they have the right to tell other people how they ought to live according to the laws in the Bible, the Pharisees themselves are actually farther from that reality than oftentimes everybody else is. And I know this is hard to wrap your mind around, but what Jesus is getting at here, and and based on the title of my episode, I just took it right out of this section where Jesus twice says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, we know this. Um, We know that we will recognize people by their fruits. What gets us in trouble, though, and I would like to apply this for just a time to leaders within kingdom-minded organizations. So that might be churches, and therefore you might refer to pastors or priests or deacons or elders, whatever your church is structured like. This could also apply to um, parachurch ministries or organizations, organizations that not are not churches themselves, but have leadership structures within them and are partnering with churches to do good in communities and cities um, around the world, what have you. And so Jesus is saying here, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, here's Jesus's connection. Here's his connection with this external versus internal. And he's been talking about internal righteousness throughout this entire sermon. We've looked at motives. We've looked at the lust in the heart being synonymous with adultery externally. And and we've looked at anger in the heart that turns toward contempt and judgment and criticism and like wishing ill on other people in the real world. That's the way righteousness works is it takes root deep in the heart And then out of that heart springs forth fruit that actually is born in the real world, either for good or for bad. And so when Jesus exposes the bad fruit, he's dealing with a bad root, which is how he can say healthy trees bear good fruit, diseased trees bear bad fruit. What I think gets us into trouble, though, when we read a passage like this is that it is very easy, or at least it's common, it appears anyway, to define fruit incorrectly. And I'm going to rely on Sky Jatani's book once again for this week. I'm actually going to read you an entire chapter from his book, but I want to start. He's covered this topic over the course of a few chapters, and it's just right on the money. And what he says is he, he, uh, Sky is great. If you've not read the book, if you've not listened to Sky or engaged anything that he said, he, he thinks in my mind, he thinks on a different level, but the level is incredibly accessible and incredibly convicting. So what he has written out on the intro to one of his chapters is what he calls the evangelical industrial complex versus 
the kingdom of God. And here, Sky defines how we oftentimes think of fruit within the evangelical industrial complex. And we think of things like effectiveness, power, impact, influence, popularity, or relevance. Um, I can think of many, many churches who get behind their pastor because he's effective or he makes a greater impact or he is an influencer or he's super relevant or everybody likes him. These are categories that without thinking, we can assume that because a leader of ours fits these descriptions that he's somehow bearing good fruit. But what Sky does a good job of is contrasting that with what the kingdom of God is actually all about. And in the kingdom of God, fruit we know has been defined in in Galatians chapter 5, but throughout this sermon, Jesus is also describing the kinds of lives that are fruit-bearing within the kingdom. And we come to find that things like generosity, mercy, honesty, gentleness, faithfulness, and humility are what the fruits are of people who are tuned into the work of the kingdom by the spirit in their own hearts and manifest that in the way they relate with other people. This again is why I think it's helpful for us to remember that you can follow somebody who is a big influencer, right? Influence was actually one of the terms that Sky used for the evangelical industrial complex, but you have no idea whether or not that person is generous or merciful or honest in their day-to-day dealings with other people, whether they're gentle with their kids or with their spouse, how faithful are they, and whether or not humility is what you sense when you listen to what they say. These are things, and Sky goes on to suggest, that what we need is time and closeness with many of these leaders because it takes time to evaluate, is this the kind of person that I would want to follow? Trust is something that takes time to be built and it isn't something where you get swallowed up in the influence and the power and the relevance and the effectiveness of great leaders and forget that it's the things on the inside that actually matter. I do not think it's too hard to see that when you watch many, many leaders today crumble and fall when the pressure rises or crumble and fall in general, when the truth is brought to the forefront, it's because they got caught up in being effective and having power and having influence and the things that really matter, their character development fell by the wayside. Because developing character and going after humility and seeking to be a gentle person in the face of people who don't like what you're doing or who criticize you, those things aren't going to make you popular, relevant, or have much of a visible impact or effectiveness in your ministry. In fact, if you pursue humility the way Jesus calls us to pursue it, I almost guarantee you the way we've come to define effectiveness won't at all describe your ministry. And so Sky writes in the very first chapter, he writes in the very first chapter of, of one of his books, of, of the book that I'm referring to, that if Jesus was serious, then our character matters more than our accomplishments. He goes on to say that this means it is entirely possible to be a celebrated leader with a huge ministry 
and be a diseased tree producing rotten fruit. It also means that healthy trees with godly fruit may not achieve measurable success that the world will praise. And I think this is really important. Um, I don't think this is a reason, for, like for, for me, for example, if I look at my, um, my work in the church and I decide, well, the world is not praising me, my church isn't large, I don't know how relevant we are to what's going on in our city or how effective my leadership abilities are, but it's okay because I don't need to worry about any of this. Like I, I, I used to push against um, this idea a little bit because I don't want that to mean that if you aren't actually striving to, to be as good as you can be and to, to impact in, in a sense or to um, um, be able to Oh, I'm trying to think of an adjective to describe this that isn't from the industrial or evangelical industrial complex. It's a little harder than I thought. Um, but to be able to actually meet the needs of real people, you want to be able to evaluate this and be able to decide, is what I'm doing good and right, but not getting sucked into thinking if I'm not the most popular or the most influential or the most effective or making the most impact, then I'm not doing anything. I, I do think, again, this is why our passage here follows the earlier part of Matthew 7 where Jesus talks about not judging. Because again, we're, we're not here to criticize genuine efforts of those who are pursuing kingdom righteousness just because what they're doing isn't actually producing results. Um, but we can get sidetracked by this. We can get sidetracked into thinking that if we do all the right things, we're going to see all the right results. And that's not always going to be the case. It, it might be the case at, at times. And this also doesn't mean that if you have a big following and you really are an influencer on social media, that that somehow doesn't mean that you're a gentle, honest, merciful, generous, faithful, and humble person. You very well may be. And when I find people that I perceive are honest, gentle, humble, and merciful, and they have a big following, I become one of their followers. Like Jesus doesn't say don't have followers. All he says is beware of false prophets, right? Implied in that statement is that there may be prophets. There may be people who speak on God's behalf that are worth following. But the way you're going to know they're worth following is when what's coming out from the inside is alive and smells of the kingdom, not just this rubber stamped thing on the outside where you're effective, you're powerful, you're full of influence, popularity, relevance. And I was talking to a good friend this week and she was talking about um, the boss that she works for. And she said, this person is just hard. Like she's good at her job. She gets the job done, but I would not want to be friends with her. Like the way she treats people she does not look at them as valuable people. But guess what? She's successful in this company. She has, you know, negotiated for raises. She's had other jobs and she has figured out a way to climb the ladder within this particular system and it's working. But internally, the people that work for her come to realize this isn't the kind of person that I really enjoy working for. This isn't the kind of person that I really want to be around. And this isn't really the kind of person that I want to become as far as it relates to you know my, my line of work. And I think that's kind of what Jesus is getting at here. And so what I want to do 
and I thought this illustration was really good that Sky uses. And um, at first, when I first read it, I'll be honest, I, I thought it was kind of cheesy sounding. And my very first thought was, ooh, this this illustration is is beneath Sky. Sky usually hits it on the head and he nails it. In my mind, he knocks it out of the park every time. And yet I hit this analogy, came across my mind. And I was like, oh, Sky, you've really stooped down, man. You're really grasping at straws. And then I read the analogy in its own paragraph, and I think it's absolutely brilliant. So I just decided to read it for you, and here is what he says. He says, if Jesus was serious, then we will focus more on our life with God rather than our work for him. Here's what Sky says. A good tree will naturally and automatically produce good fruit. That is how Jesus described his disciples. We are like healthy, thriving trees, and the life of God within us is manifested in the love, joy, peace, kindness, and mercy we produce. The key to this kind of life, Jesus said, is learning to abide deeply in communion with him the way a branch abides in a vine or a tree that is rooted in good soil. Our focus should not be the fruit on our branches, but the depth of our roots. As we live deeply with Jesus, the fruit will take care of itself. In many Christian communities, however, there are great social pressures to appear godly. This tempts us to focus almost exclusively upon visible, easily measurable fruitfulness, which often gets confused with effectiveness. Rather than developing a life rooted in Christ through prayer, we worry more about displaying the right behaviors and symbols in front of others. When we do this, we become Christmas tree Christians. Christmas trees are beautiful and they draw attention to themselves in a way natural trees do not. They are decorated with tinsel and lights and covered with glittering glass fruit, but all of the ornaments are there to hide the unappealing truth. Christmas trees are corpses, they are dead cut off from their roots and sustained by a pot of water that must be refilled, perhaps every Sunday morning. Eventually, every Christmas tree has its fake fruit removed and it is thrown to the curb or burned. Too many of our communities are filled with beautiful but dead Christmas trees. Yet what our Lord desires is the subtle beauty of a fruitful, thriving orchard. I thought that was brilliant. Christmas trees and the tinsel and the ornaments and the decorations are just there to hide the truth. And that is that a Christmas tree is nothing but a dead, lifeless tree. It's dead. We've cut it out of the field and brought it in and sustain its life, supposedly, over a matter of weeks with a pot of water that he jokingly says, but sort of seriously, you know, perhaps we water it every Sunday morning. And is this potentially not what we're seeing in our culture? And I would say in large measure, it is. Which is why Jesus is exhorting us both as followers who follow him, but as also kingdom citizens who are inviting him to do his work of real righteousness in us, that when we follow leaders or when people claim to be leaders and invite us to follow them, Beware of following people who look great on the outside or who claim that greatness for themselves or who get stuff done, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. 
you will recognize them by their fruits. How are we defining fruit? Jesus defines fruit as an inward character that has its heart and its soul set on him and on our neighbors. What is the best for both? The fruit that our culture looks at is how many people can I influence or how much impact can I have or how effective can I be? And it looks for strategies and ways of bolstering up its own views. I've often found, and I've found it this way because this was my life for many, many years. I wanted the effectiveness that I had. I wanted the popularity that I had. I wanted the relevance that people said I had to be present because on the inside, I felt empty and filled with shame and embarrassment about the kind of person that I was. And I needed those external validations hung on my branches, if you will, like ornaments to make me feel or appear to be something of value. All along, the inside of me was continuing to shrivel up. And what Sky does a great job of, and what I think Jesus always invites us to, is to be in communion with him. It's not sexy. It's not flashy. Nobody's going to know about it. But it's a life that we are gaining by having our roots deeply connected to him. And the fruit that he's calling us to bear, let's say the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that kind of fruit is not fruit that's like an ornament where I'm going to slap on you know, a colorful, shiny ornament of patience, right? If I'm not attached to the one where that fruit comes from, I'm not going to have patience in the world. I can put on a, on a fake front for several hours, maybe up to a day or two or a week if I'm lucky, but eventually I'm going to snap because I don't have the love of the Father coursing through my veins towards the person who is making me so impatient right now, right? Like you and I can't muster this up within ourselves, which is why Jesus spends all of his time talking to us about being rooted to the Father being deeply connected with him, drawing our life from him, and choosing to believe that real righteousness has to begin at the depths of the heart. And the only way to do that is to expose all of the fake versions of righteousness so that we quit leaning on that and trusting in that and trying to do a better job of that. Give all that up, repent, right? Turn away from all of that and actually open yourself up to the inside. Like I had to come face to face with why am I so shame-filled and empty and shriveled on the inside? Why do I need affirmation and proof of relevance and the ability to be shown that I'm influential? Why do I need that to feel satisfied as a human being? But let me tell you, I needed that for many, many many years. And I sought after that even as a leader in the church. I needed it. And what I'm realizing now is that what I really needed was to have my insides meet Jesus. What I really needed was to face that shame and to lay it out and to, to 
you know, pick through it and lay it out on the table and try to rearrange it and try to identify what is it that is plaguing me so deeply at the core of who I am. These are things that false prophets don't do. Many, many people who want to be effective or powerful or impactful or influential at the core are oftentimes highly insecure. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying people who are effective or powerful or influential or popular are insecure. That may not be true. But people who strive to be these kinds of things, you know, you might be popular and have nothing to do with it, right? Like you might not care about anybody and that might actually be what makes you popular. But there are people who see popularity and are like, I want to be that. Or they see an influencer and they're like, I want to be like that. What's oftentimes driving that is this sense of, I need that in order to make me feel worthy or feel significant, which is why I said following the ways of the kingdom of God is a bit unglamorous. It's a bit unsexy, right? To be generous or merciful or gentle or faithful or humble. What what kind of attention is that going to garnish for you? Well, newsflash, it's not going to give you any attention. And that is life-giving according to Jesus. Because we spend so much time and so much energy trying to get life from things that are not life-giving. And Jesus is inviting us to find life, to find hope, to find real righteousness rooted deeply in our own hearts, rooted, rooted where we currently experience insecurities, replacing our insecurities from which we grasp for ornaments and tinsel and, and, and tish, you know, bows and all that stuff and, and decide that Jesus can take up residence in those places. And when he does, we become more comfortable in our own skin. We begin to pay less and less attention to the flair and the influence and the popularity. And we then begin to be the kinds of people where his actual presence can take up residence and the fruit we bear will resemble more and more of him. At which point, as a leader, you may find yourself gaining more of an influence, having more popularity, but not because you're striving for that. That might be a byproduct. This is why when Solomon prays in, in 1 Samuel for the Lord to give him wisdom, or I'm sorry, I think it's in 1 Kings, were the Lord to give him wisdom so that he could lead his people well, the Lord says, well, because you've asked for this, I'm also going to give you riches. You know, Solomon could have asked for riches and maybe the Lord would have granted it, but he asked for wisdom. And as a result of the wisdom that God gave him, he then turned and was able to make a lot of money from that. Now, of course, he didn't handle that super well. And Solomon's life is a train wreck in lots of other ways, but I'm not here to criticize that. I just want to point out that sometimes we gain additional things from the pursuit of what is right. And that's fine. I know of people who I trust, who are very influential, very popular, and very relevant. The reason I follow them and trust them is because what I see coming from their lips is incredibly honest, very gentle, full of humility, generosity, and mercy. They imbue the characteristics of the kingdom of God whenever they speak and whenever they act. And those are the kinds of people that I want to fix my eyes on as I follow them. I hope the same for you. I hope you are surrounded by leaders who are faithful, who are gentle, who are merciful, 
who are honest and who are humble and who are increasingly seeking to become more of those things. If you're listening in and you don't have a pastor or you don't know of any leader that you can trust, my first of all, I'd like to say I am really, really sorry. Jesus's words to you are that you, I, and I will pray for you actually, is that you would be able to find someone that you can trust. But I think if you've been hurt by the church and you feel like you can't trust people in leadership positions in the church, I want you to hear me. You are actually listening to what Jesus has said here because he warns us to beware of false prophets and you will recognize people by their fruits. And if any time spent in a religious setting has led you to conclude that the leaders of that institution or of that church or of that parachurch ministry or organization or whatever is driven by something other than deeply rooted connection with Jesus and you felt burned by that or abused by that or mistreated by that or overlooked by that, then by you deciding no longer to trust those people, you are being aware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And guess what? It's not that hard to tell when someone's treating you like a wolf and when they're treating you like a sheep. It's just not that hard, right? Um, and so when you've felt burned, as, as no doubt some of you have, I want you to take courage you are playing, you are doing exactly what it is that Jesus has said to do. Beware of them. And when they show their true colors and you decide I can no longer trust them, I would like to know so that I can pray for you that you might be able to find another community where the, the, um, the characteristics of the kingdom are being manifested and are being encouraged and are being lived into by the leaders, by the, by the regular attenders, um, whatever it happens to be. And so if you feel comfortable doing that, I would love to hear from you. Um, I would love to see if I can connect you with some of the connections that I have around the country and, and if nothing else, becoming a community ourselves. Um, if you trusted me enough to let me know that, I would be happy to join in praying with you and for you that you might be able to find a community where you can trust the leaders. And if others of you listening have communities where you can trust the leaders, I'm excited for you and I'm thankful for that. And some of you may even want to go up to your leaders and say, thank you. Thank you for caring about the right things. Thank you for pushing aside the temptations to become the next big influencer or the next big popular, you know, speaker or, or the one who's most effective. Thank you for caring for the community that you have without getting sidetracked by a million other things. I'm sure your leaders would appreciate that. So that's all the time we have for this week on the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's exciting to continue to engage several of you um, during the week over email or Instagram or wherever we bump into one another. If you haven't yet left a rating or a review on this podcast, if you would be so kind as to do that, I would appreciate it on whatever podcast app you choose to listen to these episodes. And I hope you have a fantastic week. 
potentially the, uh, the fantastic next couple weeks. I, I, I've sort of fallen into doing these episodes about every other week, and that seems to fit my schedule a little better these days. So it might be a couple of weeks before you hear from me again, but we'll pick right back up in verse 21 of Matthew 7 as we get near the end of the sermon. So really thankful for all of you listeners, and I hope you have a fantastic next several weeks. Talk to you next time.